0: Series this morning called Choose Life, Week Five, and uh, that's why I say if you made a choice to come to church this morning because you didn't have to come, but you made a choice to be here, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, we've got a lot to cover this morning. I got to tell you, I'm going to read a lot more scripture this morning than I normally do, which we may already read a lot, but we're going to read more this morning because we're going to go through the life of King Solomon because we've been talking so much about this idea of how much choices matter. And I saw a lot of similarities of what we've been talking about in the life of King Solomon, and we're going we're gonna to get there. But uh, one of the questions that kind of has to be answered in this series, and maybe you've thought about this before in your own life, is how much is God responsible for, and how much am I responsible for? In other words, you could say in this world, how much of what happens is God responsible for? How much of what happens is uh, man responsible for? Man's sin and man's choices. And, wh- and then what about in my own life? How much of what happens is God responsible for? And how much of what happens am I responsible for? And I just want to let you know this morning that this is a, this is a spectrum That people fall on, right? There's not, there's no just, you know, people that, oh, it's all God, or it's, well, there could be actually, but all along that spectrum, probably this morning, we have people. And sure, there are camps all the way to one side that think every single thing that happens in life period on this earth, every breath, every flower that's ever fallen, everything was God's sovereign will, including all of the horrible things that have ever happened, every sin that's ever been committed, every person that's went to hell. It's all God's sovereignty. Okay, well, that doesn't line up with the Bible. And then on the other side, you have maybe someone that would say, well, no, it's all mankind. God's totally uninvolved. And God's like, he created everything, he set it in motion, then he just stepped back and he never puts a finger to it. So those would kind of be the two extremes. Well, the truth is somewhere in between. The truth is somewhere in between. And uh, but I, I want to address this because we could <clears throat> we could do a whole you know sermon on the sovereignty of God, meaning what, sovereignty of God, just meaning those things that God controls and has authority over. We could do a whole sermon series on that or, or a sermon because the Bible does talk a lot about that. The Bible talks specifically when it comes to the greater overall plan of God with nations and kings and the way things have played out through history that God does definitely get involved in those things and in scripture takes responsibility for those things but did you know there's a lot in scripture that God does not take responsibility for and that he puts responsibility back on us as far as the outcome goes And I'm going to show you that this morning here are some statements that I'm used to hearing I hear some of these statements a lot as a pastor. You can imagine you've probably heard every one of these. I hear people make these statements a lot. Well, everything happens for a reason. Well, I don't doubt that everything happens for a reason. The question is, what is that reason? I mean, if I take this water bottle and I throw it out in the audience and hit somebody in the head, was that God's sovereign will? No. No. I'm going to say no, but could you say, well, everything happens for a reason? Well, yeah, it happens because I picked it up, and I had made a wild, you know, crazy decision and threw it at you and hit you right between the eyes. Well, that happens for a reason, yeah, because I was acting foolishly, and it affected me, and it affected you a little bit more. It affected you a little bit more than it did me. That's how this world works. I make choices that affect me, and my choices are so powerful that they can affect you as well. My choices can affect your life. And that's why, that's the purpose of every law. The purpose of every law inherently built in is the understanding of how powerful other people's choices are and so that it has to be restricted in your life. The law has to come in and say, you are not allowed to do this because it has the power to affect other people. And so those things are illegal and we can't do them because they end up affecting other people. That's how powerful choice is. But see, when when people say, well, everything happens for a reason, what they're really saying is God had some plan. He had some purpose of why this happened. So something bad will happen, right? You're driving down the road, and and you get pulled over, and you get a ticket, you know, and you're trying to have a good attitude about it. You're not happy about it, but you're trying to have a good attitude. And so, so, well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, you were speeding. And You broke the law, and the cop pulled you over, and you got a ticket for it. It's not necessarily some greater, bigger part of God's plan. Now, People may say, well, God was protecting me from something down the road. Could be, could be. But in reality, the reason you got the ticket is because you made a choice and there was a penalty for it. And it's not necessarily God get involved in your life. Why is that important? Because this is a way of absolving ourselves of responsibility many times without realizing it. Something, I, I don't, you don't know how often I encounter this where things are bad, happening bad in people's lives. And it's 100% because they're sinning. (laughs) It's 100% because they're violating God's law. It's 100% because they're not walking in any wisdom. And then when things happen, they go, Well, I guess God just had some plan. No, God had a plan and you weren't walking in it, and that's why you're experiencing this (laughs) more times than not. More times than not. And I'm, look, I'm going to, I'm telling you what we're going to talk about this morning, then I'm going to show you every bit of it from Scripture, okay? (laughs) Here's another one. Well, if it's meant to be, it'll be. See, this is a misunderstanding about the will of God. Do you believe or do you not believe that if it's the will of God, it's happening no matter what? If it's the will of God, it's going to happen no matter what. And there's, no one, and there's nothing that anyone can do about it. If you believe that, you're believing a lie, and I'm going to show you that from Scripture. The will of God does not always happen. I'm going to show you that from the word of God. I know for some people their statement is they're like, "Oh my God, what?" You know, guys, well, yeah, but see, there are things that God has chosen to be sovereign over and things that he's chosen to leave within your power. Okay? Here's another one. I like this one a lot. <clears throat> well, it just wasn't in the cards. The reason I like that one so much is cuz that's a reference to fortune telling <laughs> and tarot cards. And I hear it all the time. Well, it just wasn't in the cards. Oh, you're a fortune teller now? Okay. Well, I thought we were supposed to be following the Lord. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I say that all the time. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know what it was connected to. Well, it just wasn't in the cards. Look, these statements, all of them assume that the will of God is done no matter what. But I'm going to show you briefly from the scripture that this is not true. In 2 Timothy 2.4, the Bible says that God desires all people to be saved and come to the full knowledge of the truth. The, the, the will of God, the desire of God, is that all people be saved and come to the full knowledge of the truth. Is that happening on this planet? No, it is not. People are dying every day and going to hell apart from God, separated from God. Didn't come to the full knowledge of the truth. In that most important thing... Because there's nothing more important than that. There's nothing more important than someone's eternity. There's nothing more important than someone's eternal destiny. And in that most important thing... God left it up to our choice and our decision. He doesn't force people to be saved... Even though it's His will that they are. He doesn't force people to go to heaven... Even though it's His will that they are. And that they would go to heaven. So, no... It's the desire and the will of God that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, but not all people will. Second Peter 3, 9 tells us the same thing. It says, the Lord does not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the will of God. That none would perish and all would come to repentance, but they do not. Here's probably the clearest example, though, for me, is when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He taught his disciples to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And notice closely. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would they be praying for the will of God to be done on earth as it's being done in heaven if it were already being done on earth? If it was just a given that the will of God is always and completely done on earth the same way as it is done in heaven. Of course it's not. That's why they needed to pray for it. That's why they needed to ask and pray, God, we pray that the will of God would be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. You want to know what the perfect will of God looks like? Look at heaven. There's no pain. There's no death. There's no sickness. There's no sin. There's no there's no separation from God. There's no hurting one another, no need for forgiveness. That's where the perfect will of God is being done. So Jesus said, as Christians on this earth, he said, I need you to pray and fight for and contend for that the will of God would be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Why? Because it's not being done on earth. So we need to pray for it and we need to fight for it and we need to work for it. And if ever the perfect will of God were being done on earth, then it would look like heaven. That's what heaven is like and that's what heaven is is going to be like, why is this important? Because when you look around and you see all the pain, all the destruction, all the sin, all the sickness, all the devastation, all the tragedy, all the immorality, all the deception that is happening on this, pleasant, uh, on this planet, for us to look at God and go, oh, that's just the sovereign will of God. And you know a lot of people believe like that. A lot of people believe like that. Well, that doesn't seem like a very good father to me. And that's not, the, that's not the God that I see in Scripture when I read it cover to cover and I see His full plan. Here's what I see in Scripture. God gave autonomy and will and freedom to man, and we royally messed everything up. And this shows you the power of people's choices because Adam's choice is still affecting you. But Jesus' choice is still affecting you. But that's how powerful choices are. You you right now are making choices that's going to affect your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. I mean, there are plenty of children that were brought into this world of no choice by their own. And whatever they experienced in this life, good or bad, was dependent on the choices that someone else made for them. That's the way this planet has set up. That's how powerful choice is. But let me just tell you, you have a... and, it, and this bothered me. This is one of those things that would bother me just if, like, somebody was talking about my wife, you know, or my real earthly father, and they're, they're impugning their character. Because when I hear people talking about God like that, like, oh, you know, some, some child dies in a car accident, or and they're, well, you know, God just needed another flower in his garden in heaven. I'm like, w- where did you get that? Where did you you hear that? That's not the God that I serve. God didn't kill that person because he needed a flower in his garden. God could speak a flower into existence if he wanted to. He didn't need to kill somebody in order to do it. But if I'm the devil, that's exactly what I would want people to think. If I'm the devil, that's exactly what I would want people to think. I've met with people in my office that, that hated God, wanted nothing to do with God because this is what they'd been taught their whole life. Everything bad that's happened to you, every horrible thing you've experienced, every bad thing that happens in this life, somehow it's all part of the greater plan of God. The the plan of God and the perfect perfect plan of God was the Garden of Eden. Beautiful, perfect, no sin, no death. Heaven's that way. That's what heaven's going to be like when this is all wrapped up. But right now... We're living in between in a period of time that has been greatly changed and affected by sin and the fall and the curse. And this planet is a difficult place to live on. Not because everything that happens is the will of God. As a matter of fact, every every difficult and painful, horrible thing that happens on this planet is a result of deviating from the will of God. It's a result of rejecting God's word. And going our own way and going our own path. And every time you go to make a bad decision, no, God doesn't sweep in and say, oh, no, 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 I'm going to save you from that. You can't do that. No, you are an autonomous, free will agent that was created in the image of God that can choose just like He can choose and and literally create just like He can create. That's how you were created. Okay, let's get to Solomon. We're going to look at these principles in his life. You're going to see everything that we're talking about in his life. 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 1 When David's time to die drew near he commanded Solomon his son saying I'm about to go the way of all the earth be strong show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God look at his look at his command to him keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his ways and keeping his statutes his commandments his rules and his testimonies as as it is written in the law of Moses So that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me saying if. Everybody say if. If If the will of God happens all the time and perfectly there is no if. There's no if. But notice what he says. If. If your son. This is what God told David. If your son's. Pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul. You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. In other words, here's what he was telling him. If, if, big if, if your sons follow me the same way that you did. They follow the law. They put God first. They go down the path of righteousness. He said, your your lineage will continue on the throne forever. I'll never... Replace the lineage of of my son David if your sons pay attention to their way walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel that was the perfect will of God now if you know your Bible history you know that that is not what happened and we're going to see why but that was the will of God this is what God wanted to do in David's life Solomon's life and those after him but he said, "If they do this, this will happen." So that word "if" shows us that the will of God is not always the deciding factor. See, he, he's letting us know this is the will of God, but whether it happens or not is determined on you and what your sons do and the choices that they make. It wasn't de- the, in this instance it wasn't dependent on the will of God; it was dependent on man's choice. 1 Kings. Three three. Continuing, of course, we can't read the entire story, but I've picked out sections. You can go back and read the whole thing if you will, if you want to. One Kings three three. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So what he's saying there is he followed everything God said except this one thing. They were they were commanded in the law to sacrifice only at Jerusalem. And that was inconvenient. As you can imagine, there was a large territory, and all the tribes were spread out. And that was inconvenient to offer the sacrifices at Jerusalem. So they began to build these other altars in different places. And it was what you might call a minor infraction, in a sense. It wasn't some big thing, but yet it's letting us know he was following everything except he still left some room in his life. For this area of disobedience. And, and, I, and actually that's what most of the kings did. So Solomon loved the Lord. Verse 3. Walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. He wasn't supposed to do that. For that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said ask. What I shall give you. This is the great story that most of us know about Solomon. Where God appears and he says, name it. Anything you want. I'm going to give it to you. Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness. And in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love. And have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God. You have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people too, many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord... That Solomon asked for this. And God said to him. Because you have asked this. Everybody say because. because. That's another one of those statements. Because means. The fact that you did this. Now I'm going to respond this way. If you had not done that. I would have done something else. So because you asked this. And have not asked for yourself Long life or riches for the life of your enemies, or the the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. It doesn't say I now do according to my will. Doesn't say I now do according to the will of God, the great sovereign will of God, plan and purpose all the way back from the beginning. Doesn't say that. He said, "No, you asked for this. Now I'm doing according to your word." God's responding to Solomon's choice. Here, behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Now now pay attention very closely to verse 14. And if, everybody say if. Yes, I'm going to have you say it every time we read it. Okay, and if you walk in my ways. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. What if he doesn't walk in my ways, keep my then he'll not lengthen his days. It's going to be dependent on what Solomon does. That's the whole purpose of if. I know it seems like this is basic, but you'd be surprised how many people think incorrectly about this, even though it's plainly right there in front of us in scripture. This is how we see constantly throughout the Bible is. God lays it out. He's laid it out for the children of Israel so many times. When I bring you into the promised land, it's going to be a land flowing to milk and honey. This is what it's going to be like. If you walk in my ways, if you obey my commandments, you'll have peace. Everything you plant will prosper. Everything you do will prosper. But if you do not, this is what's going to happen. And he lays it out for them in advance. He says, if you do not, your enemies are going to overrun you. You're going to be kicked out of the land. It's going to be bad for you. Dependent on what? The will of God? No. Dependent on their choice and what they do. Do you know it's operating the same way in your life? You may look at your life and you may think, well, you know, God's doing this or God's doing that. Listen, God gave you the power of choice. And just like he told Cain, if you do well, it'll go well with you. If you do not, it will not. That's how it works. And it's not always even, just keep this in mind, it's not always even the punishment of God. Sometimes people think, oh, God's punishing me because I've sinned. There, it, and there is, there's room for that, but a lot of times what we're experiencing is just the natural consequences of the choices that we've made. It's not even God punishing you. Like, again, I used the example earlier of you. You speed and you get a ticket, oh, God's punishing me. Not really. Not really, that's just the natural consequence of the choice that you're making. So don't walk around feeling like, oh, God just punishing me. No, God's will is not to punish. God's will is to restore. God's will is to course correct so that you don't have to walk out. But the reason why he gets so involved, and, and that's another thing people say sometimes, like, well, why does God care so much about what we do? Because he loves you. Why does God care so much if I do this or don't that? Because he's a lot smarter than you, and he knows how that's going to injure you, hurt you, affect your family for generations. You wonder why God cares about all this stuff, you know? Well, God really cares about, you know, you know, sexuality and, and morality and all of these things. Yeah, He does because He loves you. And He wants the absolute best for you and your children and your grandchildren. And again, if we take a step back and we look at the planet and the shape that we're in all across this planet, you can see why He cares. You can see why He cares because the planet looks the way that it does as a result of deviating from his word and from his will. So, yeah, he fights for it. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. That's going to end really badly for you and everyone around you. I need you to choose correctly. And this is what I've found. I have found sometimes we don't always understand God's command. And that's where trust and faith comes in. And we go, I don't know why he cares so much about this. I don't know why he said, don't do this. But I'm going to trust that he knows what he's talking about and I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to do it or I'm not going to do it. One the Whether the command is for or against. And we're going to see that happen with Solomon actually. So he says, because you asked for this. He said, I'm not only going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you everything you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you peace with your enemies. And if you walk in my ways. And keep my statutes and my commands as your father David did. Then I'll lengthen your days. 1 Kings 4.29 And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. Man, how many of you would love to have that? Some of you are like, I do have that. I'm pretty sure. I'm doing pretty well. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men. Wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and He-Man. See, y'all thought He-Man was just strong, but He-Man was wise too. (laughs) He-Man, I don't know how to say all these. Darda, sons of Mahal. His fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in the Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all the nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So here's what you see happening here. In the beginning of Solomon's life, even though he wasn't perfect, which should be an encouragement to us, even though he wasn't perfect, he was following the ways of God. He was following, because by the way, David wasn't perfect. Y'all know the story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah and David. David wasn't perfect, but yet God said David was a man after God's own heart. And guess what? David paid the price for those sins. He actually lost one of his children because of his, because of his sin. So the, the penalties and the consequences of our choices are real. But it doesn't mean that just because you made a mistake that you're no longer in the favor of the Lord or you're no longer walking in the blessing of the Lord. If that was the case, none of us would be. But we're talking about a lifestyle. We're talking about patterns. We're talking about habits. And what I have found with God is that when somebody is violating his word, that he reaches out to them to try to get them to repent and come back. And if they do that, they'll stay on the right course. But if they persist down that road day after day, month after month, year after year, eventually those consequences are going to come home. And there's going to be devastation there because of it. So Solomon wasn't perfect, but you see the fruit of in the beginning of his his kingship that he was walking in wisdom. He was walking in the blessing and favor of God. It was all over his life. Uh, Really unlike anything that we see in Scripture on anyone else in, in a way. Also notice how humble Solomon was in the beginning. You remember the prayer that he said to God? He said, God, I'm just a child, which wasn't ex- exactly true. I mean, he was a you know teenager, early 20s. He said, I'm just a child. He said, I, I don't know how to lead all these people. My father David did this so well. He said, I, I don't know how to lead all these people. I need, I need wisdom. You see that humility in his heart. But can you imagine at this point when it literally says his wisdom surpassed all the people of the east, all the ones from Egypt, everyone was coming from all over the world, all the nations to hear the wisdom of Solomon. That that has now that that's that can cause you to give glory to God if you remember where you came from and you remember where your wisdom came from. But if you if you start forgetting that, and I've seen I've seen this in people too, is when they were in a certain place, they were humble, they were broken, they were crying out to God. Then God helps them out of it. They start getting on their feet and doing it. And all of a sudden, now. They start feeling that pride come in. So, in 1 Kings uh, 6, Solomon begins to build the very first temple of God. This is 1 Kings 6, 11. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If, everybody say If. Concerning this house that you are building, if you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So he's making a promise to him. If you do this, here's what I'm going to do. And it's not only going to affect you. Notice what he says. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Really? When you read the whole Bible, you you continue reading from here on out, here's what you find out. Is that God was warning him, the future of this nation is tied to your choices. And if you lead this people towards me, they're all going to be blessed because of it. But if you fall, if you fall, if you you deviate, if you go away from my commands, these people are going to suffer. They're going to suffer because they're going to follow you, and your choices are going to affect their choices. But he said, if you do it and you follow my command, he said, I'll dwell among the children of Israel, and I will not forsake my people Israel. So they, they consecrate the temple. They build the, the temple as a glorious temple, and, and we get a better description of this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. It says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So what's going on here is they, they've built the temple, it's finished, it's like a you know, they're they're commemorating it, and they've got the the altar and sacrifices, and there's a huge group of people. They've prayed, they had worship, the whole thing, musicians, everything. And then when they finished praying, it says that fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering, and that the glory of the Lord filled. The temple. That was symbolic and and really more than symbolic. I mean, it was happening in reality. The presence of God coming down and literally filling that building to remain and reside there right in the middle of Israel. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Man, wouldn't it be beautiful if this just continued to be the story of Solomon and for the people of Israel? What a great start. He's walking in wisdom, favor of God, blessing of God, temple's been built, glory come down, everybody's worshiping, everybody's praising. It's like, why, why can't we just stay on that path? And, and I mean, it's one thing to judge them, but to look at our own lives you know as a nation, Christian nation, as Christian families, God's been so good. What is it that draws our heart away? Why can't we just stay on that path. It was such a good time for Israel. In a lot of ways, this was referred to as the golden age of Israel. When uh, you know, scholars and historians look back, this was the golden age. It never got better than this. This was the best, best time for Israel. First Kings one. as soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. Now, do y'all already know what he's going to say? Have y'all begin to pick up on the pattern? I'll give you a clue. It starts with if. This is th- How many times has he appeared to him already to say, hey, this is what I want to do in your life. This is what I want to do in this nation. And if you do this, this is what I'm going to do. So the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Now, this is the will of God. See, I've said this before, and I remember I preached a sermon one time where I talked about that sometimes obedience is more powerful than prayer. And sometimes people are praying when they ought to be obeying. And, and that's kind of what happens here in a way. When you read Solomon's prayer, see, he's praying for the favor and the blessing of God. He's praying for the favor and blessing. He said, God, bless your people. Let your glory come now Rest on Israel. And so God, this is, notice what God says. He says, I've heard your prayer. I heard what you were praying for. I heard the things that you wanted. But now I'm going to show you how to get it. In other words, I know what you're wanting, but you're not really going to get it by just asking for it. You're not going to just get it by prayer. You're going to get it by obeying. And so he lays this out for him. He says, I've heard your prayer and your plea, which you made before me. And I've consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. That's the will of God. What what he's not saying here is if. (laughs) My my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. If. If you do. Verse 4, that's what he says. And as for you. If you walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness. Doing according to all that I have commanded you in keeping my statutes and my rules. Then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father saying you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me. You or your children. And do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you. But go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the people. So he, he looks at him and, and I want you to see the consequences that are attached to his choice. This is not going to just affect Solomon. This is going to affect an entire nation by one man's man's choice. He said, if you don't do it, if you serve other gods, you go and worship them. Verse 7, I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Really what he's telling him, again, it's not so much a punishment as much as just a prediction of what's going to happen. If you go astray, these people are going to follow you. If you go astray and you lead the nation this way, they're all going to leave me. And as a result, this is what will happen. That's really what he's telling me. It's not so much a punishment like, oh, if you do this, I'm going to cast everybody out. Again, from Scripture, we see many times where maybe the leader sinned, but the people repented. And God's favor and blessing was there. So this is not as much of a punishment as it is a prediction that if you do this, this will be the consequences and the effect of your choice. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all people, verse 8. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. So Solomon gets this multiple times, this warning of, look, this is what I want to do for you. This is what I want for you. It's what I want for your kids, for the throne. It's what I want for the nation. And all you have to do is obey. Don't go aside from what I've instructed you to do. And I don't know what you think when you hear this, but it's not too dissimilar if you go to buy a car and they give you the owner's manual and, and you begin to read through it. And the guy you know, that, that sells you the car, he's telling you, look, if you follow what's in here, you're going to have long life with this car. It's going to drive well for you. And he starts telling him all the good things. It's going to get you back and forth to work. It's going to get you and your kids to the soccer games. It's going to be awesome. But if you do not follow what's in this manual, you're going to have problems. The engine's going to break down. You're going to be left on the side of the road. He's laying it out for him. Again, not, not punishment, not a threat. It's just a fact. And what you need to understand about God's law is it's way more powerful than a car manual. And really what the Bible is, it's just that. It's an owner's manual for life because he created it. Notice the Bible was written after everything was created. Just like the owner's manual was written after the car is created. We built it, now we explain how it works. It's the same way with the Bible. He built it and then he explained how it works. He said, this is how it is. If you do this and this and this, it's going to go well with you. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. If you don't, it's going to break down. The whole thing's going to break down, and it's going to be devastating. And every single difficulty, pain, tragedy, hurt that you see in this life is a result of people deviating from that owner's manual. The world, when you look across it, and I know we just, many times we shake our heads. We look across and we go, this world is in some bad shape. All because, every bit because, we've deviated from God's law and God's word. It doesn't have to be that way. And those who, in the midst of all the evil and pain and everything, are living a life of blessing, a life of favor, it's because they're following God's law. They're making the choice to do that. So Solomon did that in the beginning. First Kings 10, 14. Look at the blessing of the Lord on his life. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Which is the equivalent of 1.5 billion dollars today. This came to him every year. The weight of gold that came to him in one year, 1.5 billion dollars. Besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land, so it was actually a lot more than that. Verse 18, the king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps. The throne had a round top and each side of the seat were armrests and two lines standing beside the armrests, while twelve lines stood there, one on each end of a step on the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silvery, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. So this was the golden age of Israel. This was the largest amount of territory that that Israel ever owned. More than David, more than Saul. They had the most land, most wealth, most peace, largest military. But then in 1 Kings 11.1 we begin to see kind of behind the scenes, what's also going on with Solomon. 1 Kings 11.1. 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Now, if you know anything about King Solomon, uh, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, sometimes, see, people read that, and they think, well, see, the Bible doesn't care about none of that stuff. Well, just because the Bible states it as a fact is not the same thing as approving of it. There's a lot of things in Scripture like that. The Bible will tell you a story, and it may not give you a judgment one way or the other. And you have to maybe go to other places in Scripture to find out exactly what God thinks about that. But this was not according to the will of God. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 17, 14, this was all the way back in the wilderness. All the way back when Moses was writing the law. All the way back when Israel was just nothing, just been delivered out of slavery, in the middle of the wilderness, learning about God, who He was, get, receiving the law, seeing it on Mount Sinai. all the way back then, this is he, he knew what was coming. And he almost laid out, it, seemed, it would seem like he laid out word for word, almost as if he was writing it to Solomon. Deuteronomy 17, 14. It says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and say to me, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Now, remember all the times God told Solomon, he said, Follow my law. Follow my statutes. If you follow the words that I've given you. This is what he's referring to. He's referring to the law. All right? So, Verse 14, he says, "I will set a, If you say to myself, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Anybody remember how many horses Solomon had? Y'all weren't paying attention. See, y'all didn't know there was going to be a test. 12,000 horses, 1,400 chariots. And we didn't actually read the scripture where he got them from Egypt, but that's exactly where he got them. Verse 16, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. Now, have any of you ever read the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus? He said, whenever you, whenever you set a king down, the first order of business is he's going to hand copy this law. And then he's going to keep that copy with him. And he's going to read it and he's going to meditate it all the days that he reigns in the kingdom. Because this is the key to his success. This law is the key to his success. And not only the key to his success, but the the key to success for the whole nation. So when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him. And he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be filled up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left. So that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Solomon violated this on several points. Now no doubt, no doubt when he was making these choices... He was not thinking of them as some great violation of God's law. In other words, when he chose to marry foreign wives, he wasn't thinking this is a rejection of God. He wasn't thinking, I'm rejecting God's law. It's just what he wanted to do in the moment. And he was king and he had a lot of power. Maybe he was thinking... Well, you know, she's beautiful, and I want to marry her. Maybe he was thinking this is politically advantageous, and so he was marrying for that. whatever justification he gave, but he was violating God's law. Now, you know it took him a while to get 700 wives and 300 concubines. That That took him a while to do. This wasn't a one-time thing. This wasn't a mistake. You see what I'm saying? This wasn't like, oh, whoops. No, this was a thousand times you did this. Over a long period of time, you did this. And yet, look how blessed he was all the way through. God didn't just come down and hammer him. He didn't just come and bring the judgment on wife five or six. That, that's not, he didn't want that for him. No, and actually, it's not really the judgment of God that even what ended up destroying Solomon. What ended up destroying Solomon, we're going to read about it, is that these, these, these wives that we're talking about pulled his heart away. And what about the other things? He said he's not to do excessive wealth and have excessive gold and excessive silver for whatever reason. He doesn't give us the reason there, but we can, we can surmise why that would not be a good thing that you just become preoccupied with that and that could become your God. We know about that danger from the other places in Scripture. So let's read it again, First uh, Kings 11:1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Now, either Solomon didn't believe this, or he thought, "Oh well, it won't be a big deal if I just do it once." And then it ended up, you know, being a floodgate. But that's how it happens so many times. When we choose sin, we're choosing we're choosing the sin, but we're not necessarily choosing the consequence, or at least we don't realize we are. And we think, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna violate God's law, you know. I'm gonna we're gonna live together before we get married. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna sin. It's not gonna be a big deal." Yeah, but you don't realize that you're you're violating God's law and there'll be consequences for you, your children, your gan- grandchildren, and on and on for generations. You just don't have the wisdom or the foresight to see it, which is why we have to trust God and His law. If He says don't do it, we don't do it. Because He knows. And it's in our best interest. Amen? So, He said, you shall not enter in marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Verse 9, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon. Since this has been your practice. And you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you. And will give it to your servant. So this is how it ended well for Solomon, or how it did not end well for Solomon. And there's so many lessons from this. But, but what I want us to do, this is why I think it's so healthy to read the Bible in large passages of Scripture to take the full content. But there's no denying when you read this whole, and we didn't even read everything, but there's no denying what the will of God was versus the choices that Solomon made and what the results were. The result. The results were he actually stepped out of the will of God and he lost everything that God had planned for him. Now, the reason I'm focusing on this for us, I mean, there's so many lessons for us to learn. But for us as individuals, I encounter this so often where people are not taking responsibility for their choices. And they're blaming God they're blaming others they're they oh it's not that big a deal they're, they're making excuses of why they're violating God's word why they're not following God's word why they're not obeying they make excuses for it and this is what I want you to understand your life is going to look just like this if you do that you and, and eventually what's going to happen is all the things that all the consequences that God has warned us about and told us about those will come home and people say well what about the What about the blood? What about the cross? Can't we receive forgiveness? Absolutely, if you repent. That's what repent means, is to turn away from that. Anybody can repent at any time. But I've also told you this. Just because you repent, it does not always mean that the consequences magically disappear. Now, you are instantly made right with God. You are instantly restored to fellowship with God. You are instantly accepted into His kingdom. But are some of those natural consequences going to still be there? Is there still going to be a harvest on the seeds that you've sown in the flesh? Yes. Many times there are. And just ask anybody that's gotten themselves into a pickle. Some of you have been there. I've talked to some of you. Uh, and some of you couldn't be more right with God. But the seeds that you sown in the last decade, the harvest is still they're still affecting you today because of choices that, you, that you've made. That's not condemnation. That is encouragement to let's do what we can from here forward. Let's make good choices going, going forward. It is the will of God for blessing, favor to be on your life. And that's why all the laws and all the warnings are there. But it's up to us whether we choose to follow or choose not to. That's your choice. And I, and I want to leave you with this. Please don't let this just be a sermon for you today. Like, oh, we heard and we learned a little bit and now we go home and nothing changes. There are many people in this room this morning that need to make a choice. You know there are things in your life that are affecting you and going to affect your future and your kids' future and you need to, you need to deal with it with the help of God and the help of the Holy Spirit. You need to make a change. And I'm telling you, I I know the heart of God. There is nothing for you this morning but mercy, grace, forgiveness, and restoration. It is not God's heart to bring the hammer down and, and let those things cause devastation in your life. The sooner you repent, the sooner you turn and get back in God's way, the better for you and everybody connected to you. And all you're going to find, if if you repent and you come to God, all you're going to find is mercy, grace, forgiveness, and help. You're not going to get any condemnation because that's not God's will. He wants you to repent and make make it right. Think about the prodigal son. You know the story of the prodigal son. He left. He lost everything. He sowed those seeds. It was squandered. The moment he repented and came back to God, the father accepted him right into his house. Did he get his inheritance back? Nope. That was gone. He didn't get the inheritance back. If he'd repented a quarter of the way in, he'd have still had 75% of his inheritance, and he'd have had that. If he'd repented halfway in, he'd have had 50% of his inheritance, and he could have came back with that. He squandered the whole thing. And there are many of you that are in that process that you haven't lost everything yet. It, it hasn't cost you what, it, what it's going to down the road if you persist. Now's the time to repent, come to the Lord and say, you know what? I'm going all in for you. I'm going to follow your law. I'm going to walk and obey the commandments of God. I'm going to walk in the blessing of the Lord. I'm not going to do this half in, half out thing. And I promise you, if you do that, you'll reap the benefits and generations after you will reap the benefits. Amen?